This is the Four Man Rush. Hello, Panther fans, and welcome to the Four Man Rush podcast. I'm your host, Timmy V.O., and I got the fellows with us today, Kevin, Larry, and Will. Uh, we're going to be talking about some OTAs. We're going to talk about primarily the uh, NFC South and give you guys a preview on what to, what to expect and uh, what we've seen so far and uh, their offseason moves and uh, what to expect in, in that standpoint. And also, we're going to talk about um, some fan questions and some questions that we have uh, for ourselves um, as we discuss um, our Carolina Panthers and uh, the NFC South as a whole. So uh, let's get down to it. Up first, we have Will, and he's going to break down the Tampa Bay Bucks, what the uh, Buccaneers supposedly have up their sleeve. What do you think, Will? Uh, yeah, you know, that's, we divided up the NFC South like a pig, and I ended up with the pig feet. <laughs> pig feet of the division. <laughs> so we'll start with the bottom feeders, the Tampa Bay stuff. Basement bitches. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though, <laughs> started with, you know, they took a page out of Ron Rivera's playbook, you know, and they've got an offensive-minded coach that could try to help Jameis Winston the same way North Turner helped Cam Newton this year. Because you remember through the first eight games, Cam Newton was putting up career-high passing numbers. You could just see an improvement in his, you know, decision-making on the field. So I guess they hope that Bruce Arians, who I respect highly as an offensive mind, across the league. They're hoping that he'll have that same impact on Jameis Winston. And, you know, I think this team will go as far as Jameis takes them. I mean, it's his fifth year. They picked up his fifth-year option, so it's basically do or die this year. You know, he's had ups and downs on and off the field, just showing a lot of inconsistency, immaturity. So, you know, I don't want to hear any more excuses now. He's got the offensive mind in his corner. He's got good receivers with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, of course. I mean, O.J. Howard starting to break out. You know, he's a mismatch problem and an athletic freak at tight end. And they re-signed uh, Donovan Smith, their left tackle, to keep that continuity on their offensive line. And at the running back position, I mean, they returned Peyton Barber and their second-round pick from last year, Ronald Jones. So, I mean, their offense is capable. I think Jameis has everything he needs to succeed and. After this year, I don't want to hear no more excuses about why he can't do this or that. You know, it's just all the everything's all the cards are in his favor now. So this is if there's ever a year we'll see him at his best, it'll be this one. On the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, they have some unlucky uh, events with Jason Pierre-Paul. You know, I don't even though they're a division rival, you never want to see that happen to anybody. So we wish him a healthy recovery. Uh, they let Gerald McCoy go, which was interesting to me. Is um, He's kind of tortured us for so many years, and they replaced him with Indomitian Sue. So, I mean, that's I don't wow. know if that's an upgrade or a lateral move in that regard. But, you know, there's still, you know, Vita Vea, defensive tackle I was very high on coming out last year with Indomitian Sue on that front line. They're going to be formidable. And from what I've read, going to be using more of a hybrid front, eat up the blocks to – help those linebackers out. And I think that's probably the strength of the defense right now. You got Levante David coming back, mm. and they got one of my – or one of Larry's favorite players in this past draft with Devin White. So I think uh, White and David's going to be a formidable linebacker group in the South for many years to come that we're going to have to deal with 
And they also addressed their secondary in the draft, too. They took um, Jamel Dean, cornerback from Auburn, uh, Mike Edwards, safety mm. from Kentucky, and Sean Bunting, cornerback from Central Michigan. So it looks like that secondary and that back seven was a priority in the draft kind of go with that front line that they've been trying to build. So on paper, I mean, you got to respect what they've done this offseason, but, you know, as far as the Bucks. They've always been the kind of the popular team that looks good on paper coming into the year, but once the season starts, they're the same old Bucks. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So what do y'all think? Yeah, I think they always look pretty good on paper, but it seems like they can never put it together. But you can't ever count your division rivals out, man. You just never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, releasing Gerald McCoy intrigues me a little bit because I have a Kind of a feeling that he'll probably want to stay within the division, you know, maybe to get some payback. I don't know what our cap situation looks like or what kind of money he's asking for, but I know he could definitely be an asset, especially for what we're trying to do these days. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as their draft picks, that kind of stands out with the, uh, the Mel Dean pickup. That just tells me that you just added a lot of speed to your back end. I know they already have some good speed back there. As you will, as you mentioned, Will, you know, I was big on Devin White, even though we didn't have a, a need for linebacker. I think he's one of those generational type guys like your Bobby Wagner, your Luke Keekleys, you know, even Levante Davis. So like you said, they got a pretty, pretty formidable group on paper, but they're still a sucks. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just want to, I'm going to focus on what we do best and that's, you know, beating them every year. What'd you think, Kevin? Yeah. As far as my opinion on Tampa Bay, you know, we got jokes and all, but at the end of the day, this is a division rival that was responsible for, one of our divisional losses last year, you know, as always, Fox try to book. I say it like that, <laughs> try to keep it clean for our fans as much as possible. But they stand in our way of getting to the division. So I just think that with the moves that they made, with the new era, seem like they got a new era every couple of years. This is like what their like fourth, fifth coach since Rivera's been here, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just a lot of turnover, a lot of uh, a lot of crazy things. Uh, I call it the ghost of Lovey Smith because I think personally they did him wrong, but that's just my opinion. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, with the moves that they made, though, I mean, again, like we keep saying, on paper, I mean, they they look like something serious, but you know, for the past four or five years, they've always seemed to be the preseason champion in the NFC South as far as moves. I mean, the last two, three years, they've been picked as you know, playoff contender, and I think the best they've ever did was third place in 2016 when we had the honor of being fourth place. So, you know, at the end of the day, you can have all the talent and players in the world, but for whatever reason, you know, it hasn't mustered into a consistent winning formula. I do think they're going to be a threat that someone want to take very seriously. We're going to see them early and often. Again, the Thursday night game here in Charlotte right after uh, open up week one against the Rams. And then we're going to have to deal with them overseas in London. So definitely going to be a daunting task. So it's something we, we cannot take for granted or cannot sleep on whatsoever. It's going to be a dog fight. They don't like us. We don't like them. But, uh, you know, they're definitely someone that, that if we play, if we bring out 100, our 100 is better than the 100. And I'll take that to the bank any day. Yeah, they're definitely going to be faster on defense. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, Larry, I believe you uh, you scoped out the uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Sorry, ass Atlanta Falcons. My, my fault, folks. I just hell, I just feel that way. What's your breakdown on Atlanta, there, uh, Larry? 
Well, I got about 25 reasons why they suck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, surprisingly so, you know, they had a very, very similar offseason as us. Um, they come into the season with similar concerns as us. I'll start off by saying, you know, a lot of people think, you know, this is a make or break year for Ron Rivera. He could be on the hot seat. Uh, Dan Quinn is definitely on the hot seat in Atlanta. I live out here. That's all we're talking about. They definitely expect some kind of a successful season for him to keep his job. Mm. You got some hints of that because he basically fired his whole coaching staff. Um, he brought in all new guys. But the theme about that is most of the guys he brought in have former head coach experience. I mean, I'll start with uh, Mike Malarkey. He's a former head coach. He brought him in to be a tight ends coach this year. Um, Dirk Cutter, you know, former coach of the, uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks, who was also the OC for the Falcons a few years ago. You know, they brought him back because I guess he had kind of a, a good rapport with Matt Ryan. Mm. So that tells you off gate that they definitely have an intention on getting back to the run game so they can open up that pass. Um, also, you'll notice that uh, just like Ron Rivera is taking over play calls this season, Dan Quinn has fully assumed the role of defensive coordinator to the point where you know, he's relinquished, relinquished almost all his other coaching duties. He's hired a game manager now. Like I said, he's got basically head coach, former head coaches in all the other rooms, so he mm. can pretty much just focus on the defense. Mm. Um, so that's about that's pretty much about the staff shakeup. Um, as far as needs in the draft, they had a lot of well, on paper they had the same draft draft needs as us. You know, they wanted to get their defensive line better and they wanted to be better and possibly upgrade their secondary. I don't think they had the draft that we had because, uh, you know, in free agency, they addressed the offensive line. They signed uh, uh, two guards, basically, James Carpenter, and uh, I believe the other guy was Damon Brown. But they gave up a lot of money to pick up, you know, a couple of guards so they could solidify, uh, solidify their offensive line. Then draft day comes, you take a second, a guy with a second-round grade in Lindstrom from Boston College as your first-round pick. They picked him at, what, 14? And then they trade up into the first round to pick uh, McGarry up from Washington, uh, Washington, and he was probably like the, the fifth best tack on the board. So basically they gave up their second and third round picks, mm. which was pretty much the meat of the draft to reach on two players. So now they're going to Kent with, you know, they're stacked at guard. So they, <laughs> I take that as an L in my opinion. Um, one thing that they did a little bit differently from us is, you know, we didn't pick up Burden Butler, our previous first-round pick. We didn't pick up his option this year. They picked up Vic Beasley's option, and he was actually graded the worst defensive end in the league last year, and they picked up that option. They ain't quite must see something. <laughs> he must see something in him, you know, to think that he can get the best out of him. And a lot of people were surprised that they didn't address the edge, but, you know, they got two first-round picks over there. You know, none of them are producing. So this is a make-or-break year for Dan Quinn. Um Last thing I think that they had in common with us is, you know, we're all focused on the health of Cam Newton. A lot of people view that as a, a make or break thing for us. You know, if he's healthy, we can go to the top. If he's not, it's a season loss. They're concerned about their guys, too. All their major guys are coming off injury. You know, mm -hmm. Keanu Neal, their Pro Bowl safety, mm -hmm. he's coming off the injury. He missed all last year. Their, uh, their version of Luke Keekly, Deion Jones, is uh, coming back off an injury. You know, he played sparingly at the end of last season, but he they let go of Tevin, Tevin Coleman. So, you know, the weight of the show, the weight of the, the bulk of the run game is going to fall on Devontae Freeman, even though they drafted the little rookie running back. But um, injury-wise, you know, they're really concerned about the health of their team. And 
going forward, that's going to be important if they want to make it run in the NFC South. What you guys think about it? How do you think they stack up against us? I mean, I think the running back situation you mentioned concerns me. I like Devontae Freeman. I mean, Falcons stuff aside, you know, I'm a if I you know if I just were to list my favorite players in the league, Devontae Freeman would be one of them. You know, just his running style, very quick, very powerful runner. But because of that hard, how hard he runs, he's always getting these concussion problems. So now you're gonna let Tevin Coleman go and increase his workload. You know, despite his concussion history, you know, I don't get that. So, you know, we'll see how if he's able to carry the load with um, those recurring concussion issues. I guess they do have Edo Smith, the guy they drafted last year, to kind of take some of that load off of him. In the fourth round, they took a running back this year, a big bruising guy. I think his name is Allison. He had a productive career up at, I think, Pittsburgh. You know, he was over a thousand yard rusher. Wow. He's a complete change of back, uh, change of pace back. You know, he's like 225 pounds, oh, okay. strictly bruiser, didn't run a fast 40, but he's strong. He runs behind his pads. I guess they're hoping that that might be able to be a one two punch, but at the end of the day, it's a rookie. You don't know what you're going to get from him. So, like you said, well, I still expect, you know, they have a lot of expectations for Dante Freeman. At the end of the day, He's still one of the highest paid running backs in the league. So, you know, you mm-hmm. gotta get you gotta get him on the field. So, you know, I think Devontae, just like Cam makes or breaks our offense, I think Devontae is gonna be the factor if they want to have a successful offense because their run game has to open up the pass. Good point. Yeah, Matt Ryan, he just got a bad habit of forcing balls to Julio sometimes yeah. and got tunnel vision. He don't see the field. Uh, thoroughly all the time. When you look at his 2016 season, he was doing a lot better job of spreading the ball around. I felt like one MVP and took them to the Super Bowl before they had that epic collapse. Defensively, you know, that's, that's again, it's about can they stay healthy? I mean, Grady Jarrett, isn't he recovering from a, a injury still? They don't know if he's going to even be ready. Yeah, he had a uh, he had a, a nagging injury last year, and that's one thing I also left out. You know, they franchise tagged him, so it's not even a go that he stays with Falcons forever because they don't have the money to pay him. They're more focused right now is trying to extend Julio Jones because he said he wants a new deal or he's going to sit out. So it, it just seems like it's backwards. Like I don't know. I think it's Thomas Dimitrov is the GM out there. They have the most. They have fifty million dollars a year investing into two positions. And that's why you have so many holes all over the field elsewhere. So, you know, Grady Jarrett's franchise tag, you know, we didn't play no games like that. When it was time to give KK his money, we gave him his money because he was important to what we do. I just feel like they still do it backwards. You know, they just they were relying on two basically first-round uh, busts to cover their edge. And they might not even be able to pay, you know, the guy that, that soaks up the middle, their Pro Bowl defensive tackle. So, Dan Quinn's got a lot on his shoulders. I think he thinks he's going to be able to save his job, but it looks like he don't have the pieces to do it on defense, I'm just being honest. Yeah, they've given us uh, problems, though. I mean, we haven't won in Atlanta since, what, 2014? Yeah, I, think, I was there. Yeah, yeah, Obama was still president when we last won in Atlanta. So hmm. it's an end of losing. It's a streak we got to end this year. I think, um, on, you know, just stopping that offense has always been a challenge for us. But I think we um, – Dante Jackson being able to kind of match up with Ridley. And you got James Bradbury did a better job on Julio as he gets more experience. You know, that's dual using, uh, prioritizing matchups in the defense. You know, maybe we see a better improvement in the, um, slowing that offense down this year. It just seems once we get in that dome, it's just the defense has been falling apart. Indeed. 
Well, I know what it comes down to, and I'll let Kevin touch base right after this, but when I look at the times that we do beat the Falcons or, you know, the times where we actually had our way with the Falcons, what do we do? We got after Matt Ryan. I remember Greg Hardy sacked him seven times in one game. Like, that's how you beat the Falcons. You got to hit Matt Ryan off, uh, early and often. And I think that we made the moves to possibly do that. And you can kind of tell that, you know, they drafted based off what we did. You went and got Brian Burns, what did they do? Oh, let me trade up and get a bum tackle. Brian Burns is going to abuse that man, bro. He's not even in the same league as Brian Burns. But you can tell that they're trying to they're trying to draft based off the divisional rivals. So I think we just got to get after the quarterback, man. Get after Matt Ryan. Keep him on his back. And that should make things a little bit easier for us than it was last year. Yeah, as far as, you know, my viewpoint of the Atlanta Falcons, you know, uh, this is a uh, pretty much became a, a regular – game for me you know i call it bank of america south you know what i'm saying when uh when we was winning but uh kind of been a house of horrors i was there for the uh 300 yard game but mm. <laughs> yeah 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 long ride back to charlotte that day but anyway you know overall though you know with the atlanta falcons i mean one thing i look at is you know they're getting two big players back you know they're i don't know if you made all pro but definitely pro bowler um Deion Jones, number 45, the uh, Neil, you know, getting them two back who spent pretty much most of last season on on IR pretty much hurt the, the the teeth of that defense. You know, they pretty much controlled the middle. And and it's just something that, you know, with them coming back, that's going to definitely make their defense be more opportunistic, especially on the back end. Uh, but I, was, I see the Atlanta Falcons as a team that's, still going to be in transition. You know, we're, we're talking about another round of coaching turnovers. You know, we, you know, we went through the same thing, you know, what three defensive coordinators in three years ourselves. So I just think that with the Falcons, we need to just primarily focus on just being able to just get at them. Like I said, the quarterback, but just to reestablish that physical style. You know, another thing when we, you know, when we've won and had success against Atlanta, both home and away, you know, we always came with a strong running game. You know, we pretty much lined up, told them what we was going to run in that, and they couldn't do nothing about it. And and I see that with the type of talent that we're gathering on our own offensive line, I think that we can uh, get back to that type of uh, type of mentality. But, you know, when you got so much money tied up in the Julio Jones and Matt Ryan, as you guys already stated, and Julio's looking for more money, I, you know, I, I think that catering to these – high demands is going to do the undoing of the Atlanta Falcons because you got all your money tied up in Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. So several of your key defenders, when your defense is already, you know, average on a, on its best day is, is going to lose some guys. So I'm looking forward to sitting back and watching uh, Atlanta crumble as they pretty much donate nearly 25% of their salary cap to two players, you know. I'm going to say it right now. I think Atlanta's going to finish the bottom of the NFC South, quite frankly, because they didn't put enough – they didn't invest enough money into their defense to really be that much of a threat to stopping people consistently. I just don't see it. I agree with you, Tim. It seems like they're always on offense, but, you know, that's kind of how they got there, that, got there a couple of years ago, man. They're trying to get back to being the top five offense, maybe in scoring. But like you said, man, you got Isaiah Oliver on one side who pretty much looked 
like nothing last year. You know, guys picked on him all year. I expect the same thing to happen this year, even if there is some growth. He has some major flaws in his game. He let go of Robert Offer. You could tell he was an asset because he got picked up the day after they cut him. So, And also, this is the biggest thing. I forgot to tell you all about this. They let Matt Ryan, I mean, not Matt Ryan, Matt Bryant go. Y'all know how important special teams is, man. So they got an unknown, you know, if they're kicking now. Wow. That can win and lose games for you. So there's a lot of question marks in that roster. And I kind of agree with you. They might finish at the bottom this year. Well, nothing would do my heart better than, you know, you know, seeing the Atlanta Buzzards, you know, get their just due. I mean, by them being our I-85 rival, because we share the same, you know, stretch of highway, I, I really – I hate all of my division rivals equally, but, you know, it's <laughs> something about them that just, by us being the only two teams in the division without a, without a, without a Super Bowl, uh, they, they pretty much are the team that draws most of my, uh, most of my bitterness and my petty. But, you know, from an X and O standpoint, again, they're probably going to do nothing but cover three. And we saw last year that, you know, with the short pass game, how, you know, we was able to, you know, nitpick but just found it hard to attack it vertically because there are holes in cover three yeah. where your quarterback can throw the ball. But, you know, Cam for – I don't know what happened in week two, but, you know, he just seemed comfortable with his, uh, with his short game for the most part. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that's the game that Anderson what, popped the ball up and they picked it off when we was going for the uh, go-ahead score. That's true. And that's also the game where, you know – he uh, Cam was able to hit DJ Moore for his first touchdown. Man, that was deep over the middle. Perfect example of what you said. You know, oh, yeah, the, that cover three up. The stiff arm. Yep, that stiff arm. But he took that to the house almost. So that was you know, nasty. I love that. I know we spent a lot of time yeah. in the Falcons, but I feel like you, Kev. You know, I hate all my rivals equally, but I have to live here. Man, I have to live <laughs> in, in this Falcon country. Man, I have to talk trash to these guys all the time. Every single day of my life, I remind somebody about 28-3. I just feel like that's, you know, a national day in history. You blew a 25-point lead to uh, Super Bowl. Right, right. So, you know, I always got energy for the Falcons, man. But let's move on to the Saints. You know, uh, I think Kevin covered the Saints for us. Yeah, See what Kevin. they're trying to return from. I know they did a whole bunch of crying this offseason. Got some rule changes up oh, and man. stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> they were protesting. Before I jump on the Saints, let me just get back to the reason why I have extra my – my dad's side of the family is from uh, Augusta, Georgia. And, uh, and if any one of y'all been on my Facebook page, my cousin David Avery always be on that bull, you know, talking mess and <laughs> saying all this little stuff. So that's why my, my venom for the Falcons is just extra because <laughs> I got family in Augusta and Atlanta that be, you know, piping in my ears. So it's personal. Yeah. It's so, definitely uh, personal with this Falcons. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. You know, you know. But anyway, yeah, let's uh let's move on to these New Orleans Saints. And who that? So, man, I, I can't say it. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> easy big guy, easy, easy. And I want the FCC to come down on us. You know what I'm saying? We we ain't made it to the mountaintop yet. But Indeed. you know, as far as, as far as New Orleans Saints, uh, they've been a thorn in our side now, especially the uh, last several years. They they brought us some some pain that we can enjoy, you know, first it was the Minnesota miracle in the 2017 playoffs where they gave up the, uh, scored a digs on with 10 seconds left. And then of course the, uh, the Crygate game, you know, against the Rams in the 
in the NFC Championship. So nothing like watching their pain brought me much joy than what's been going on with the New Orleans Saints for the last couple of years. But as far as this past offseason goes, uh, Saints have made a lot of transitions as far as with their roster. Now, mind you, they went in extremely tight with the salary cap. You know, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Drew Brees was scheduled to make around 30 mil, a little over 30 mil this year because they backloaded his contract. So it made it real tight. So they had to let some players go, like uh, running back Mark Ingram, who who gave us plenty of headaches, you know, trying to tackle that big boy out of Alabama. But they uh, replaced him, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, Latavius Murray. So, you know, they, they traded in that, that F-150 for – a uh, little bit of a little bit of a Honda Accord here, per se. <laughs> you know, with Alvin Kamara, he's still going to be the focus of the running game and part of that passing game. We're really going to see how this McCaffrey versus Kamara rivalry is going to really go to the next level. Since more than likely he's going to be the workhorse. Um, another big change for the Saints was at center. Uh, they lost their longtime center Max Unger, who. I don't remember was traded to them from Seattle with the Jimmy Graham trade. He pretty much was a stalwart for that offensive line. Um, he he retired. They replaced him with somebody that I wanted with the Panthers, uh, Eric McCoy out of Texas A&M in the 2019 draft. So what you see going on with the Saints is they look like they pretty much wanted to just continue to add playmakers on offense and try to get more pressure with defense, you know, just looking at some of their roster moves here. I mean, offense, you know, they were able to sign tight end Jared Cook, you know, to a two-year deal. You know, he's somebody that was doing real good with the Raiders last year. Also, they um, exercised the fifth-year option on defensive tackle of Sheldon Rankins. He's not someone that's really – he's had his moments, but he's never been someone that's really been a problem for the Panthers, in, in my opinion. And I just, you know, was just looking at the fact that they just tried to add pretty much speed on their defense, but nothing really stands out. And oh, yeah, Panther fans, they cut the great Kurt Coleman. He's no longer with the New Orleans Saints. So, ah. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, I, you know, now that, you know, we're changing up defense, I guess that playbook that he brought over with them is no longer value. So they had to let them go. But, hey, good news, though. The Saints signed Wes Horton today to play defense and end. That is good news, Panther fans, because we all know based on the 2018 version of Wes Horton, wherever he lines up at, run the ball his way. Oh, man. I promise you it'll be a first down. Swinging gate. <laughs> but, you know, man. yeah. And, you know, another thing about the Saints, not only were they strapped for cash, but they were strapped for picks. They went into the NFL draft with only four draft picks, but – Man, they uh they took a couple of my favorites in the draft. Um, I just stated about Eric McCoy playing center for them to replace Max Unger, and they got one of the more versatile defensive backs out the draft and Chauncey Gardner Johnson out of Florida. I mean, this is a guy that looks like he's going to play nickel for them, but he played a lot of in the slot at Florida. He has the versatility to play safety as well, so. You know, I don't, I'm not too familiar with their defensive scheme. He could be someone that they move around. But based on, you know, what's been seen so far in the offseason, look like they got him playing the uh, the nickel spot. And they was also able to um, pick up 
a tight end, uh, a Leeds match, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's out of Notre Dame. So, you know, because they lost, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Patriots just resigned him, the tight end uh, that they had. You're talking um, about uh, Ben Watson. Ben Watson, yeah, that's it. So, you know, so basically they're just trying to, you know, pretty much add speed on defense and uh, continue to have playmakers on offense. As long as they got the great Drew Brees, this is definitely going to be a team. This is the team that we we got to bring the broom to them this year. Two out of the last three years, they done, they done broomed us. And I think it's time that uh, we definitely return the favor. And if any time is a good time, I think this 2019 season will be something that will always be a dogfight. But I definitely think we can uh, – we can pull this out. We don't see the Saints until November 24th in New Orleans. And we close the season at home against them December 29th in Charlotte. So not the not the last two out of three like they did last year uh, between weeks 15 and 17. But uh, definitely it allow our team to gel and have our defense ready by the time we see the Saints come late November. So pretty much my outlook with the Saints is hey, they're the division champs. They're looking to rebound. They're looking to try to get back. But I really don't see with the changes that they made that they're going to be able to replace what they lost. And I think that uh, they're going to be a tough out, but they're not going to be as imposing as they have been the last few years. Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely time for some get back, man. It hurt my feelings, you know, a couple years ago. They beat us twice in the regular season. Then knocked us out the playoffs. Then, uh-huh. you know, played them the first time when it mattered this year. And, you know, we lost a tight game in them. Then we didn't really beat We beat them when it didn't matter anymore. So, when the Saints, I feel like we got unfinished business, man. We got to definitely get back to beating them down on the ground. Um, I think they're still going to be a tough out, like you said, Kev, mainly because that, you know, with all the turnover, you still got that trio intact. You still got Breeze. You still got Kamara. You still got Michael Thomas. Those guys are all Pro Bowlers. So definitely got to put an emphasis on stopping. Just like the Falcons, I think the way you beat Breeze is, you know, give him pressure right up in the middle, right up in his face. So, you know, looking at us as a team, I feel like we we addressed our biggest issues, man. We got to get after the quarterback. And I think those are the only ways you can beat teams like the Saints and teams like the Falcons. That's pretty much it that I have for them. You know, we uh, Greg Little, you know, was a good asset for us because it's all about protecting our quarterback. Cam Jordan has been a thorn in our behinds the past few seasons. So, you know, definitely got to address that. feel like we did that. So as far as matching up against the Saints, I think we did some, we made some power moves. We put ourselves in a position to beat them. So I just want to see it all come into formation. I got to make sure that we actually get this done. So I can get back to talking smack to some of my Saints fans, you know. I got some Saints friends I'm pretty close with. I've been quiet the past two years. That's over with. We got to get that over with. Now I got to get back to talking trash like I like to. Indeed. What do you think, Will? Yeah. By the way, I mentioned Grady Jarrett. I forgot to mix up with Sheldon Rankins. Uh, Rankins actually had a torn Achilles that he's recovering from. So we'll see if he's ready for season starts. But anyways, the um. Seemed like since that Thursday night game in Dallas, they never looked like the same team and didn't really close the season that strong. Like the first part of the season, they looked invincible, and I thought the Super Bowl would be theirs to lose. But then that Dallas game, it just seemed like it was a turnaround in their season, and they started going downhill from there. You just look at some of the things Dallas did. They smashed them in the mouth and got physical with them. And I think that's how you, that, that 
physical styles of play, how you have to um, handle finesse teams like that. So I think I expect them to regress a little bit. You know, Father Time's undefeated. Drew Brees is held up against it pretty well, but we'll start to see him hopefully fall back a little bit next year. Uh, Alvin Kamara hasn't proven that he can handle the full-time workload by himself. So with the loss of Mark Ingram, I think that's going to be more significant than a lot of people are making it out to be. And I just look at that Thursday, uh, the not Thursday night, Monday night game when the Panthers played the Saints. It just everything was clicking on all cylinders. That's the best I've seen the defense look in years. You know, just something happened when Ron Rivera took over that play calling. You know, he just seemed like he just out-coached Sean Payton that night. So I think if we can pick up where we left off from there, you know, I think we'll have a good chance of ending that streak against them and turning the tables. Yeah, I definitely, you know, think that by Rivera taking over the play, defensive play calling, that he's uh, he's finally learning to play chess. Uh, I think Rivera's been playing checkers with Sean Payton and, and Dan Quinn the last few years, and I think that's one of the reasons why we are catching more L's than W's against these two high-powered offenses. But I, I definitely think that, you know, if when you go back and look at that Monday night game, the Saints still had a lot to play for. They had they had a chance to still play for the number one seed overall, uh, you know, because the Rams were, like, right on their heels. So it's not like they came into Charlotte, you know, without nothing to play for. You know, they, they needed to win just as bad as we did the to end our streak at the time. I think it was five games at the time, if I'm not mistaken. But I think that, you know, as far as a preview between the Panthers and Saints, I think that we're going to be able to match up with whatever offensive personnel that Sean Payton comes up with. I'm, I'm going to look, I'm, I'm going to love looking forward to Ron Rivera versus uh, Sean Payton as far as the head coaches uh, trading wits with each other, playing playing chess I, I think Peyton's been doing it longer but I think I think Ron's ready to to reintroduce himself as as a top-notch defensive mind and, and and I like the moves that that we've made as well to match up with whatever they do they want to spread us out fine we'll spread with you you know you want to try to you know saying man up and grab some nuts and try to pound it hey we're gonna pound right back with you so uh now that Ross playing chess, I feel a lot better playing against the Saints. See with all your sentiments, man. Totally agree. So, you know, uh, I think guys did a good job, man, covering the NFC South. I hope this gives our fans a better outlook of what our closest opponents look like going into the 2019 season. Anything that we left out, you know, you can always send us a message, you know, uh, DM us, uh, write it on our page, email us, whatever you got to do if you feel like you left anything out. Um, one of one new segment that we gonna have, and we want you guys, you know, interact with is uh all out blitz. Where you can pretty much ask us any kind of question you want, uh, not even football related. If you want to know what what Kevin's favorite food is, or what he likes to do in the off season, whatever whatever it is, you know, just ask us a question. We like to let you guys get to know us the best the best that we can. Um, just a preview of it tonight. You know, I got a couple of questions that some fans ask me. Um, one of our one of the biggest Panther fans I know, y'all might know him, but his name is AJ Allen. AJ. He asked, "Is uh, is this Shaq Thompson's make or break here?" I'll let one of y'all answer that one. Let's say it really quick. Absolutely, absolutely. No TD. It's 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 your show, kid. In my opinion, absolutely. That's all I gotta say about that. Yeah, I mean, I think he's playing. He's in a contract year. Final. You know, we picked up his fifth year option. Let TD walk through. He's not looking. 
Lord is everything's built for him to succeed this year. So I think he will take that next step. Now, I'm not one. I think he's played well since we drafted him. You know, as Panther fans, we're used to elite-level linebackers. So we're holding him to that Luke and TD standard, which, you know, that's those are rare breeds. But, you know, Shaq's a solid player himself. I think he just needs to focus on being the best Shaq Thompson he could be this year. What you think, Kev? Uh, me, I've been a Shaq Thompson fan from day one. I, I think that, you know, now I hate that it took to his fifth year for him to finally have the opportunity to do what he needs to do. But I look forward, I, and I think he's going to take advantage of it. I mean, we saw several stretches last season, you know, when he played just strictly linebacker. I mean, whether it was, you know, stuffing the run, whether it was, coming off the end, you know, blitzing. I mean, he showed that he can be a very effective uh, three-down linebacker in this Panther defense. You know, no more, you know, covering, you know, slot wide receivers. You know, I want to see him, you know, go head-to-head with running backs in the backfield and, you know, checking these tight ends as well. I think that he – I think that he, he going to elevate his game and he's going to, you know, show what he's really all about and – Earned that contract extension that that he's playing for, but definitely I like his versatility. So whether we do the the uh, four three or the three four philosophy, you know, primarily a lot of nickel packages. I think that he can be lined up pretty much anywhere and and be a playmaker for us. So I'm definitely excited about the what Shaq Thompson's going to do for us on the field. He's a great locker room guy, and I think he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. So. You know, I know a lot of people felt some kind of way about that $9 million option being picked up, but, uh, you know, this guy played three positions his first four years. Let's, let's leave him at linebacker, which is what he was originally drafted to do, and let's see what he can do. I agree with y'all for the most part. Um, I looked at his contract. I know we picked up his option, so, you know, you're paying him a lot of money this year. I just want to see the results. You got some people that are concerned about if he fits the new scheme and stuff like that. So I think he has a lot of a lot of doubters to prove wrong. Um, it seems like that linebacker group is a big question mark. A lot of people have concerns, and that kind of leads into the last question that we got from one of our most loyal followers, which is Dennis Harden. He said, with the change coming in our defensive alignment, what LB, not D end or edge, will benefit most from the change? Also, how do you see us utilizing the new LB group since last season in this scheme? Interesting. Well, I think the inside linebackers will be Luke and Shaq. And rotating with them, you got Carter, Jermaine Carter, Andre Smith, and uh, special teams, Jared Norris. So I think those will be your five inside linebackers in the new scheme. You know, it's hard to say. I think in pass coverage, the scheme will benefit everybody because you can be more unpredictable with your pressure. And what does Luke and Shaq do very, or what does Luke in particular do very well? He undercuts passing lanes and is able to get interceptions. So in the passing game, I think we could potentially see Luke uh, um, get back to being that turnover machine in pass coverage. Against the run, I'll admit I am a bit concerned because you have one less body on the front line to protect Luke. So he's going to probably be hand fighting with offensive linemen more often than usual, but, you know, with it becoming a passing league now, I just don't um, know if it's as big as a concern in 2019 as it would have been in 2000, 
2012. So overall, I just think the priority needs to be generating pass pressure. And I think if they do that, it'll benefit everybody on the defense. Yeah, and one more thing um, about Shaq, you know, people having concerns about his size. Uh, if, when to play inside linebacker, whenever we do the 30 front, 3-4 looks, I mean, as far as weight goes, there's not even a 10-pound difference between him and Luke. I think Shaq is coming in around 233, 234, and I think Luke's right around 240, if that much. So as far as, like, you know, from a size point of view, I don't, I don't think that Shaq's going to be it. You know, this is not the days of, you know, Levon Kirkland, 265-pound, you know what I'm saying, inside linebackers in a 3-4. You know, he'll be, you know, a three technique in today's NFL. <laughs> you know, so everybody, you know, gets so stuck on, you know, certain 30 front or 40 front. I think he's going to be just fine for us. Keep in mind, one of the more successful defenses in that uh, 30 front is the Rams. Their inside linebacker was Mark Barron, a converted safety from Alabama. So, I mean, the league has changed, man. You know, we just got to all – I'm still learning stuff every day myself. We just got to kind of evolve to the new NFL where linebackers are basically safeties, safeties are cornerbacks, cornerbacks are track stars. I mean, it's just – the league's changing so much. Yeah, it's, a, it's about skill set, man. It's, it's, I'm sorry, Kevin, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I, I was going to say, uh, as far as um, other guys in the linebacker court, I think it's going to be affected with a change. You know, I'm going back to our fourth-round pick from 2018, Marquise Haynes. You know, Ole Miss pretty much played, you know, a a 3-4 philosophy when he was there. We're talking about someone that's their all-time, you know, sack leader when he left. So I'm definitely looking forward to uh, him performing for us in these uh, in these hybrid fronts. He's someone that I'm, I'm definitely um, eager to see what he can do. I think him going back to more of his natural position is going to allow him to bring out, you know, his best. Also, I look forward to see what the other linebackers are going to do as well. You know, Jermaine Carter Jr. and um, Andre Smith. Um, I'm definitely, you know, high on particularly Smith, you know, coming from Tar Heel Nation. You know what I'm saying? But I really think as far as scheme fit, I think he's someone that can play either inside or outside linebacker for us. Depend on how the reps and and how the scheme unfolds. I, I think that we got some versatility with our linebacker core that a lot of fans are not aware of. That now that Rivera's calling plays, you know you're going to see guys making plays that you would think were playmakers. Well, they're finally being put in position to succeed. And I think that was one of the big reasons for Rivera making his change to a hybrid front. He wanted to give all the players that he has on his, on on defense a chance to do what they do best. And I think this move. Will uh will provide dividends for for the uh for the defense overall. Yeah, I think we'll still see a fair share of four three, and that'll get, give a good opportunity for Smith and Carter to battle for that third linebacker, third outside linebacker position. So, you know, there's so many things you could do with this personnel. Just touching on what Ken was speaking about as far as the competition goes. Don't forget, we got an undrafted guy out of California. You know, that's uh Ron's alma mater. Uh, his name is Jordan Kanasik. He'll probably be competing for special teams, but if you watch some of his film, even Cal ran that hybrid front, you know, with a like a three-four to four-three. He was all over the field, stood out a lot in coverage as well. Um, can make some plays downhill. 
that's somebody that's going to be competing with Main Carter's and you know, Andre Smith. So there's a lot of competition in there just to answer uh, Dennis Harden's question for us for tonight. But um, I'm excited, man. I'm excited about the new front. I'm excited about the linebackers we have. I don't really have any concerns about the transition personally. I think three, four can actually benefit a guy like Luke Keekley because, you know, you got your big nose tackle commanding a double team from center guard. Um, you got basically two five techniques that, you know, might might need some help. You might have to double them in a run game, whether it be, a, you know, Obata, uh, Cox, or even if you put Love or KK in there. So, you know, I think the, the defensive linemen are going to actually open things up for our two inside linebackers. And I expect a big year from all of them, to be honest with you, whether it's Shaq, Luke. I think this actually benefit them in a lot of ways. But that was just, uh, you know, just to answer Dennis's question, that was a very good question. And, you know, uh, Panther Nation, just keep on sending them in. You know, every every episode we'll try to address some of the questions you might have regardless of what it is. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the email to send uh, your questions to, if you decide to email us, um, of course, you can go, like like uh, Larry said, you can D, uh, DM us on uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, or um, Facebook. Uh, but our email address is the number four manrush at gmail.com. The four manrush at gmail.com. All right, so fellas, uh, what else do we have to talk about tonight? Uh, I know OTAs just kicked off, um, but I'm not sure there's a lot of news coming out of the uh, of the camp on that, is there? Well, um, as far as any news, got some sad news today. Um, ah, yes. One of our. One of our personal long shot favorites to make the team this year, wide receiver Moe Frazier, uh, suffered a uh, broken arm today in OTAs. Now, with OTAs being non-contact, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, what led to that. But either way, I hate that for him. He was already going to be a long shot for him to make the roster. But I think of all the long shots, he had the best chance. Uh, this was his third season you know, with the Panthers, so he knows the playbook. Uh, he pretty much led the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he led the NFL in the preseason as far as receiving touchdowns last year. So, yeah, so he's definitely someone that um, can definitely provide options at that that last right receiver spot, that number six spot. So uh, we definitely wish Moe Fraser a speedy recovery. You know, I know everybody heals differently, but, we you know, when Demir Bird broke his arm, uh, he was back after his eight weeks on a short-term IR. So if we just want to use that for conversation piece as a time frame, he's having surgery tomorrow. Eight weeks from that will be July 22nd. So training camp is probably going to open up around July 25th time frame. So Moe Frazier could be ready to uh, return for us, depending on how his recovery and rehab go, just in time to start training camp. So definitely hope that uh, he makes a full recovery and uh and go in here and um, fight for his spot. Yeah, keep pounding, Mose. Keep pounding, bro. Yeah, as far as OTAs go, man, I think it's just a little bit early for me. You know, I'll probably get more news tomorrow, be able to touch more on it. I did see one clip, you know, with Brian Burns. I know uh, Will pointed it out to me, but we got to see, like, a, a little bit of a preview of how that front is going to look in the 30. You know, you had Burns at the edge, and we kind of saw uh, Obata at the five technique, and we were able to see Cox. Uh, Cox Jr. at the other one. So just a little preview. That's all I was able to pick up on. But I should have a lot more to talk about, you know, next episode as far as how OTAs went. Yeah, the media wasn't invited to today's session, so we could, couldn't really see a lot of the um, clips. 
get an idea of what they're doing. But tomorrow, I think the first day, the media is going to be invited, so we'll get to see all of the reports from all the Twitter accounts and snippets. So we'll have a lot more next week. Good deal. Good deal. Well, all right, gentlemen. Oh, and, uh, go ahead, Kevin. Oh, I'm sorry. One last, yeah, just one last thing, a quick tidbit. Uh, probably more as a camp body, but a long shot. Uh, I was thinking that um, uh, we also got Chubb's brother. Uh, I think it's a Brandon Chubb from Wake Forest, huh. uh, 6'1", 245 linebacker. I mean, if he got any of his brother who played for the Denver Broncos playmaking ability in him, I, I definitely he's someone I definitely think. We need to also keep our eye on as someone that could uh, possibly sneak in as that sixth linebacker on this team. So keep your eye on as well. You know, we're looking for pass rushers and guys that can make the change at 6'1", 245. Uh, like I said, if he's anything like his brother, you know, we could have a possible hit in gym. But as now, camp body, but stay tuned. Well, all right, Panther fans. I believe the four-man rush has concluded their episode and giving you guys a wealth of information on what's coming up in the NFC South and pretty much what's going on with the Panthers in general. So on behalf of myself, Timmy VO, Kevin, Larry, and Will, and of course the fellas behind the scenes and our blog writers, enjoy your evening. And as always, keep out. She love it, we out in public and we can just chill with my partners and we can go back to my crib and just chill out the covers and do we come me and you love us cause I just The Foreman Rush is brought to you by the love and respect of and for the Carolina Panthers and Carolina Panther fans everywhere. Keep pounding. The Four Men Rush is a non-affiliate of the Carolina Panther organization. All thoughts, assessments, and content of this podcast is directly related to the Four Men Rush exclusively. Thank you.